Hello, listeners. Welcome to the first ever show of the Tech & Color podcast. We are Monsi and Michelle, and Tech & Color is a show dedicated to spotlighting the diverse stories of leaders in technology and business and their journey to get to where they are today. In the Zoom studio today, we have a very special guest. He is Facebook's head of new product experimentation, where he leads a portfolio of diverse entrepreneurial teams focused on rapid product experimentation. Previously, he was vice president of Facebook's platform partnerships team, which manages Facebook's relationships with companies like Spotify and Netflix. He holds a bachelor's of science degree in electrical engineering and computer science from Yale University, where he was captain of the varsity basketball team and also received an MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business, where he served as class president. He's a listed inventor on more than a dozen technical patents and serves on the boards of many nonprofits for empowering underserved youth, students, and entrepreneurs. We're so honored to have Mr. Ime Arjavan with us today. Welcome, Ime. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to, uh, to jump into some of your guys' questions. We're super excited. And our listeners are also excited to hear, to start out, about your family and upbringing in Kansas and North Carolina your college and postgrad experiences, and how those shaped your journey to your current role at Facebook. So I guess to start at the beginning, what were you like growing up and what was your family upbringing like? Were you interested in tech and business even at an early age? Yeah, um, good questions. I always think it's important to know someone. You got to know their history. Uh, mine always, I always try to start with my parents because they shaped a lot of who I am right now. My dad is a poli-sci person. My mom is a business person, but my mom taught at North Carolina A&T State University, which is a HBCU, predominantly black college down in Greensboro, North Carolina, focused on science and technology. So it was normal for me over the summers to be in my mom's office, going to summer camp and tech camp on A&T's campus and seeing engineers walking the halls that looked like me at a very early age. I don't realize how important that was to shaping my my view on what I thought I could be and what I could grow up to be um, over the course of, uh, of my life. That's awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned that at Yale, you majored in electrical engineering and CS and were also involved in two different startups and captain of the Yale basketball team. What was it like juggling all these major commitments and how do you think they've shaped your personality and interests? Yeah, I had this funny semester in my senior year where uh, I had actually front-loaded a lot of my courses. And I was like, I'm going to do what I've seen all these other people doing for so long, which is I'm going to have class two times a week, and <laughs> it's not going to be an early class. And you know, I'm just going to enjoy kind of my senior year and just work on my thesis. And it was by far the worst academic performing year for me. <laughs> and I'd also say on the basketball court was probably my worst uh, performance on the basketball court. So there's something in my DNA about filling my schedule and doing a bunch of work. And I probably got it from my parents that just serves me quite well. So juggling two majors, definitely working while I was on campus and then also playing basketball was somewhat in my DNA and, and kind of kept me disciplined and focused on the things that ultimately planted the seeds for, for what I could then launch and do after, after school. Do you feel like being involved in these startups and sports had a lasting influence on you even now in your life? Absolutely. Like if I had to boil it down to a couple life lessons, there's one which is just this notion of hard work. I think people really underappreciate folks that are willing to roll up their sleeves and actually work hard. You know, I had a college coach that told me and showed me in, in really strong ways what hard work actually looked like on the court because I don't think I had a good understanding of it beforehand. 
um, being able to actually make it through my two majors when a big chunk of my time every single day was carved out for practice was non-trivial. Layer in trying to actually do a job on top of that and make some money so that you can actually navigate life. It's a notion of, of what hard work is. So that was a big one for me. The second one for me, I would say actually probably was more around working in teams and leadership. Again, if you want to do anything, in my opinion, that matters in this world, you're definitely not going to do it alone. Knowing how to work with a team, work with people, lead teams, right? So you can maximize and kind of multiply the impact that you want to have um, is essential. And I learned a lot of those skills and the skills that I even use today at my job on the basketball court, actually. Yeah. Is there a specific moment that you realize something about yourself or something about what you wanted to do in the future? That's a good question. I mean, a pivotal moment for me, and um, this maybe is just the importance of people and mentors that show up in your life at different times, was uh, when I was graduating from undergrad, uh, I wanted to go and I had delusions of going and playing professional basketball. <laughs> um, the, the Ivy League basketball teams that exist these days are a lot better than they were back when I was playing. <laughs> so, um, you know, my delusions um, of going and playing basketball weren't really made concrete until I was at home in North Carolina, three months after graduating, where all of my friends and my colleagues and, and, and folks that I graduated with were off to their new jobs. And I was still waiting for a contract to go play basketball overseas. And this goes back to the Nigerian parents. <laughs> my mom, you know, in a very direct and stern way told me that if she, you know, saw me for another week or two, just waking up on their couch and not going and getting a job, she would take matters into her own hands, for lack of a better word. And uh, I got out there and kind of the first opportunities and the companies that I got to explore and try to figure out how I could leverage my degree were no longer the startups that I did my internships with, but they were big multinational companies. And it was um, a former basketball player who uh, had graduated, I think, in the 80s or so that um, reached out to me and said, hey, like, you're talented. You've got a, a great degree. Let me like send your resume around to some of the people that I know. And I ended up at IBM that way. That's incredible. Like mentorship is, is definitely so important now. For sure. So important. Yeah. I guess also talking about IBM and your path after that, you spent some time at IBM and uh, shifted through different roles in the company. And then you went to business school at Stanford. Could you talk a bit about what your experience at IBM was like and how you approached the decision to go get an MBA and what your MBA experience was like? Yeah, I mean, probably a bunch of different things came into play on at Shape That Experience. The first, again, goes back to your parents. <laughs> IBM gave me opportunity to join a bunch of different research and development labs around the world. So, of course, I naturally wanted to stay close to home in North Carolina. My mom was like, nope, if you stay close to home, you're going to be distracted by your friends and by us. Go start your professional journey somewhere where you're not going to have any distractions. So she nudged me to go out to Tucson, Arizona, where I knew nobody. <laughs> and I started on the front lines as an engineer there. I was working on performance software for some of the mainframe storage systems that IBM was traditionally known for and kind of their next generation ones that were going to take them out into the future. The thing that experience did for me, two things, of course, it's just great to get the, the technical experience as an engineer, but it illuminated two things for me. One, which was I'm not working on something that I am personally like passionate about. 
and obsessed with. So it really forced me to understand and, and wrestle with that question, what actually wakes me up in the morning and what doesn't. And then it also forced me to question the function that I was doing, which was, do I get energy every single day from being at this terminal and writing code? Or is there something different that actually will fuel me up? And the answer to both of those questions were absolutely, I need to make some changes. So what I realized with the first question was I actually get more lit up by serving people, right? If I would have gone back into my past and looked at kind of the things and the moments in my life that got me the most excited, it was when I was serving people. So I needed to be working on technology that was consumer facing, not enterprise or kind of storage systems. So that was kind of number one. The second piece too is from a functional perspective. I was like, while I enjoy the like technical challenge of problem solving and engineering, I actually am more obsessed with like, what is IBM as a company's strategy, right? Like, what is the impact that we're trying to have in the world? How are we doing this better than other people that are out there in the world? But like my strategic mind started to fire and I really wanted to scratch that strategic pitch. So I started to pursue and look for kind of a, a different function. The, the way I made that transition was business school. So I said, I want to do a potential industry pivot. So I want to do something consumer focused and I actually want to do a functional pivot. And as an engineer, I felt like I needed to go and get that MBA in order to make those transitions and changes. Yeah, for sure. And then I guess after business school, how did you discover Facebook and how did you end up joining it? Because I think it was pretty young at the time, right? It was like six years old. Yeah, definitely. This goes back to your your underscoring of, of people and um, I won't call it mentorship, but ultimately, ultimately, I do believe that everyone you meet in life has the potential to kind of steer you or mentor you in one way, shape or form. So after business school, I actually went back to IBM. I made that functional switch. So I started doing business development, but I was still working with our research and technology division. But I had moved to San Francisco by then. And at that point, uh, it was actually a gentleman who was at Google at the time who I knew through a friend of friend. He wanted to go build a startup. I was at my journey point in IBM where I said to myself, I actually want to move away from this 400,000 person company and go do another like startup. <laughs> uh, by the time him and I grabbed coffee to catch up because he was leaving Google to do a startup, I was going to you know, bounce ideas off of him, figure out if he was trying to build a team or not. Facebook had hired him. So Facebook was, like you say, six years old, probably 1,000 to 1,200 people working at the company already. In my head, I actually thought it was too big at the time versus what I was looking for. As I got to understand their values, what the company was trying to do, the mission, and then really I've gotten really pretty clear on kind of what my values were and where my purpose was and how I wanted to spend my time and energy, the overlap was pretty clear. So taking a job and working at the company was a no-brainer when they pursued me and we found like there was a match. Yeah, and you also started off with the platform partnerships team, right? How would you describe your initial role on the team? And can you also talk a bit about how you grew the team as Facebook grew and the team grew? Yeah, best job. (laughs) Best job when you're like starting a company. So all of a sudden I went from working in the enterprise tech space to a consumer tech company. And my first job was to try to figure out how to make music more social. Who doesn't love music? I love music. I've always loved music. So trying to figure out the overlap of the future of music. And I can talk about companies like Spotify, which was the first company that I had to work with from a partnerships perspective back then, which may have been 30 people, really small startup out of Sweden. No one knew about them, Um, but try to figure out what is the product experience that we could build together that made music more social, more shareable, more discoverable for people and change the way people consume music was the first problem that was laid in front of me. So I started off on that team as an individual contributor 
hustled away on that project. Had some fun times. You could probably go back and, and read a bunch of the articles from back in the day of when we launched Spotify in the US alongside of Facebook and the Facebook deep integration. Had the opportunity to work on that and drive a lot of that. And then um, with any kind of rocket ship of a company, I always say that if you are in the rocket ship and have a seat on the rocket ship and you're working really, really hard as that company grows, the rewards you get, if you want to think about it this way or not, is that they're going to ask you to do more stuff. <laughs> so, uh, you know, from, from a role where I was just an individual contributor only thinking about music, um, about a year or so into the journey, I was asked to take on the entire portfolio of different partners in different industries and different companies that were building on the Facebook platform. And that's where I started to extend just that functional expertise of business development and partnerships. And you're right, if I was to, to look back, I started with a, a team of three people. And, you know, I transitioned recently earlier this year to, to this new job. And the team is now a team of probably a couple hundred people spread out globally around the world still working with all of the most exciting like consumer tech companies and startups and entrepreneurs out there that are building on our APIs and our platform. Um, and along that journey, got to start a couple other different functions, uh, built a community partnerships team, which ultimately was to work with individuals who are using Facebook's tools and technology uh, to do demonstrably good things for their communities. So I'm happy to talk about that. Got to build the education partnerships team out, got to build the social impact partner partnerships team out. Um, a lot of things I look fondly back and and, uh, and really smile kind of proudly about the, the infrastructure I was able to build there as a, as a partnerships person. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I especially like what you said about how you realized at your time at IBM that what you were most interested in was serving people and that this new role at Facebook got you more at the forefront of doing that. I was wondering, and I think a lot of listeners also have this, like a similar interest in serving people and often feel that software engineering might not directly serve that purpose. Do you think that you got a lot out of your experience at IBM or what specifically would you say at that IBM experience helped propel you into the position that you had at Facebook? Yeah, it's actually funny. I mean, one of the things that I, I tell a lot of people who are on their career journey is that taking that job, even if it isn't the job that is the best thing for you in that moment, or it's like, it's like kind of your, your ideal dream job, you're going to learn something and you're arguably going to learn something about yourself. And that, that learning that you have about yourself is going to be the sphere for you moving forward in your career. And that's definitely what happened at IBM for me. If you would have asked me at 21 or 22 years old, if I loved storage systems and like enterprise storage, the answer would have been no. <laughs> right. And you know, where that really clicked for me was I had this group of really smart, talented engineers that I got the opportunity to work with in, of all places, Yorktown Heights, uh, New York, when I, was my, when I was with IBM. And we were breaking for lunch. I think that there's either basketball going on or we were in the middle of kind of uh, one of like an election year like this. And I just wanted to talk about basketball. I wanted to talk about the election. I want to talk about anything but work. But these, these, it was a, these older man and woman, like all they wanted to talk about was enterprise storage. And in that moment, as like a 20 something year old, I was so frustrated. I was like, Oh, like, can't we just talk about something other than work? But I think as I sat with that, that evening, I realized they had exactly what I need to be working towards. They were working in a space at a company and on problems that they woke up in the morning thinking about and that they went to bed at night thinking about, and yes, that they thought about and they talked about at lunch too. And I was like, ah, 
I need to not be frustrated. I need to actually just go pursue that. I need to go figure out what are the problems out there? What are kind of the things that fuel me, that light me up, that I can't stop thinking about in the morning when I wake up and I can't stop thinking about when I go to bed at night and go work on those things and work in that space. And I wasn't able to articulate clearly what that looked like at the time, right? Like Facebook might've been two years old, probably when I was having this process going on. But I knew that there was a people-focused piece of it, right? This is back to this service thing for me. I knew I had to be serving people, I had to be building something for people and making people's lives better. That was the most important thing for me. How I actually got there, who knew? Like, that's where you end up bumping, you end up learning about different things. You now have your North Star that kind of gives you very clearly what you should be working towards. And you just kind of pursue that. And Facebook uh, and technology, I would say, clearly has become a more and more important tool for anyone in any industry and any company. So as a software engineer, I always tell people you should fairly easily be able to like identify what lights you up and what your purpose is and then go find some type of tech job that allows you to scratch that itch or to work towards that. And that IBM experience was like the aha moment for me. That's really interesting. Like the, the moment of when you were realizing that this is not exactly what you wake up and go to sleep thinking about. You mentioned the different educational initiatives that Facebook has had. And you've also helped launch internet.org and Messenger and a bunch of these huge platforms that have influenced so many people. Has there been any initiative that you found to really enjoy working on or that you found to be really impactful and transformative for you personally? Yeah, I mean, you named a couple of them, um, and it's hard for me at this point to probably choose the one that stands out. You know, you think about things like internet.org and this notion that, you know, the connectivity and even our ability to do this call virtually right now is enabled because we have great fiber optics laid. (laughs) We have the industry to support that, that infrastructure. That is not the norm around the world. And when we started working on internet.org, less than half the world had that luxury. So what could we do as a company to go and ensure that people mainly and predominantly in the global South, so we're talking across the African continent, we're talking about South Asia, Southeast Asia, places where the majority of the world's offline population lives, right? Didn't have access to kind of one of the most fundamental technologies that is driving education, economic empowerment, you know, how people are learning and getting access to knowledge. So I look back on the work that the Facebook kind of um, connectivity efforts have done over the course of the last seven years and the involvement that I had in that, definitely, definitely proud of that. Um, On the education side, again, the North Star has always been, what could we as a tech company do to ensure that more people fall in love with tech, more people fall in love with computer science, more people fall in love with coding, is there anything that we could and be building? And we've built a number of different things, both from a product perspective and programs. Code Forward is one that I, I helped build out with my last organization. Um, Tech Prep is another one. But all of these were programs to try to figure out how we could get our skills and our technology into underserved populations and give them access to the same educational tools that you and I benefited from that made us fall in love with this space and this industry and it has unlocked and kind of changed our lives. Um, so I look proudly upon that. I mentioned the community work that we did earlier. Uh, again, this was an awakening for the company. You know, we as a company changed our mission statement in 2017 to, you know, give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. And big 
um, areas of focus there was this notion that the average person was doing transformative, impactful work for their communities, leveraging our tools. And that's Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, so on and so forth. Uh, a good example of this is, uh, you know, there were two 20-year-old sisters during Hurricane Harvey uh, and that tragedy a few years ago down in Texas who created a Facebook group to coordinate between their friends and their family to make sure they had supplies and a safe place to be during the hurricane aftermath. And they go to sleep metaphorically, wake up the next day, which probably was probably like a week later, and the group that they created for just their friends and family had exploded to thousands, if not even tens of thousands, or over 100,000 people that were coordinating, helping each other out during that crisis and that time of need. So we as a partnerships team said, hey, we need to make sure that like those two sisters get the support and the love from Facebook to ensure that like when they wake up every single morning, they feel like managing that group of now tens of thousands of people and sometimes millions of people is an easy thing for them to do because if they went away, that whole meaningful community go away. So now we have a global team of partnerships folks that are working from people and are working with people in the United States, the people in Kenya, to Poland, Kahana, you name it all around the world on those community partnerships efforts. And that's something I'm definitely proud about having, having been on the front line helping build. It's great to hear about how through all these initiatives, you've basically been able to focus on a core mission for each of them. And then moving forward toward executing that. I guess, how would you describe the process of launching these initiatives? How do you choose which problem you want to work on and then design a solution towards solving that problem? Yeah, it's life's, life's mystery right there. <laughs> I don't know that I have a perfect answer for this, but I'll tell you what my approach has been. My approach mm -hmm. has been, one, to always bet on people. So whether it's myself, whether it's the team that I'm working with, whether it's someone that I've met, Oftentimes, people have that story that they want to tell or something that they're so convicted about. They see that that future vision for the world or the product that they want to build. And I think you can't ignore that type of internal flame, that type of internal story that needs to be told. So I'm a big believer in just betting on people for better or worse. That's kind of number one. Um, number two, I'm a big believer in proximity. So what do I mean by this? I mean people who wake up and say, hey, here's the opportunity, here's the product that I want to go build. And it's either because it's an opportunity they see or it's a pain point in their life or it's a need that they have, but they are somehow either physically proximate to that people need or that challenge or that opportunity. They are academically proximate to it because they've studied it more than anybody else or they are emotionally proximate to it because they just care about it more than anybody else. And I think that's another thing that you can't not ignore when you're thinking about what to go prioritize what to build and what to bet on, especially if you care about that first principle for me, which is everything starts with a person or a small team and really trying to bet on that. After that, and there's a thousand different frameworks of how to think about a problem space, to do the research, to understand the problem space, understand the quantitative and the qualitative data that's like demonstrate what you should focus on, sharpen that, and then get started right? Really understanding what you're going after from a North Star perspective. What is the problem you're trying to solve, the people need you're trying to address, and being very comfortable about trying a bunch of different solutions, knowing that your first one's not going to be the perfect one in order to actually um, and actually hit that. And that's a lot of what we're doing right now with this, this new organization that I have, a new product experimentation team, which is just like, how do you experiment in a healthy and an urgent and a smart and an intentional way that ultimately will help you build the product and solve the problem that you're looking to solve. In your current role, how would you describe, you know, what you do typically? 
there's so many different teams that are all working on these individual ventures. How do you approach getting to know what all these new teams are doing and also balancing them with Facebook's mission and what Facebook can do in all of these different spaces? Yeah, I mean, if look, like the, a team like this is energizing and creative and exciting, and I get a bet on people, and I get a bet on a diverse set of ideas, like it is all the wonderful things. And then to your point, um, creativity and innovation without some constraints can be chaos. <laughs> so, you know, what, what governs us and what are kind of the guardrails? You mentioned one of them, which of course is the Facebook mission, right? Like everything that we're going to be doing ultimately is going to ladder up to this notion that we're trying to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. That's kind of number one. When you then bubble it down to our team level, what we've actually agreed on from a thesis perspective is that everything that we build is going to be about enabling underserved needs with products that we think ultimately can lift the whole world. So that's our thesis. We believe that there are people needs, that there are audiences that exist out there right now that we can build new innovative technology for. We can build a meaningful product experience that will add value, like quantitatively beneficial value to their life that we believe are universal. And oh, by the way, if we can get it right for those particular audiences, that those products are ultimately going to make the world a better place. So within our product portfolio, you have people who are saying things like this particular demographic, if you want to cut it by age, region, kind of you name it, is right now being underserved by technology. And we believe if we build a more bespoke experience for them, that we can do something that everyone will ultimately use and like it'll lift the whole entire world. We have other teams who are like, hey, you know, I still don't think that there's enough thinking and innovation happening around, you know, hearables. <laughs> you know, that is a different technology platform. I think if you fast forward five years from now, you're going to have more and more people walking around with just hearables in their ears. What are the product experiences that we could and should be building in that world? Let's go after it. But this whole notion that there are underserved spaces and areas and tech platforms that if we build more bespoke experiences, um, we believe can create kind of outsized, outsized value. So that's what we're going after. And that's our attempt to bring what could be absolutely fairly chaotic and energizing um, to something that's a bit more constrained and, uh, and, and a direct Wow. It's great to hear about how there's so many different aspects to your job right now and you're able to manage all of them and still work towards serving people. You've done a lot in your career and to shift gears a little bit, part of the reason that we're doing this podcast is also to highlight the diverse stories of leaders in tech and business who are changing the world. It'd be awesome to hear more about how you've reflected on your career so far. And especially given Silicon Valley's lack of diversity, how has being a black man shaped these experiences for you? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I guess maybe I didn't say it explicitly as we were talking about my, my life journey and kind of my career journey. But a lot of these mentors that gave me the steer to go in a different direction were people of color, right? And... In retrospect, looking back or reflecting now and thinking about it, I do wonder how much of that was due to the fact that they were people of color or they found me at the right place at the right time. Did I hear that the same kind of messages from people that I ultimately just didn't see myself in? Like what, you know, what influences a, a young adult who probably thinks they know everything versus, <laughs> versus not, right? You know, I go back to spending my summers 
on North Carolina A&T's campus doing technology like summer camp and seeing a bunch of people of color also passionate about technology, I think was formative for me. The person who wanted to give me steer after graduating from college and saying, you need to go put this great degree to work was a person of color. And he was the one that extended his network to me to say, let me put you in front of some other people. I chose IBM because of all the companies that I talked to at the time that gave me offers across a bunch of different industries, there was a senior black executive who I had the opportunity to have like a 30 minute conversation with. He studied computer science, still coded at the senior levels of IBM, loved basketball and looked like me. I remember being in that meeting with him and going, uh, how do I, how am I, how do I become you one day or something along those lines? But like that wasn't, that was important for me to go and join IBM. And then showing up at Facebook, this was one of these moments where I had, oh, now the search and the desire for black mentors in this space, the accountability now falls on me to make sure that the people behind me actually see me as someone that they can follow. Because Facebook at the time when I joined, there were very few people that looked like me. There definitely weren't any senior people that looked like me. And I went through the shock moment because I had just come from IBM that had so many people, including someone who was a mentor and technical powerhouses that all looked like me to a place where that just didn't exist in Silicon Valley. And I said to myself, okay, I can't unfairly say that Facebook should be at the level of where IBM is. IBM has been around for a hundred years. This company has only been around for six and there's only a thousand people here. I need to make sure that I can look back 10 years from now, which is where I'm at now at this point in my journey with the company and be proud that I would actually created the door, brought more people into the industry, helped people understand how to navigate the industry, gave people opportunities, did everything to make sure that we had more and more people of color and diverse perspectives at the table of what we're trying to build here. And despite all the, the challenges that we still have, like as an industry and even as a company, in order to make sure that that vision is realized, I'm actually really proud of all the work that's happened over the course of the last year and years. I've seen that journey and I've seen the change. That's great to hear. And I completely agree about the importance of representation and role models. Even in my own life, that has been super important in figuring out what I'm interested in and seeing myself in people who are further along in their journey than I am. Beyond important. I guess, uh, are there any challenges that you face along the way? Or is there any advice that you'd like to give to your own young self on how you overcame those? So challenges along the way, absolutely. Living in America... Uh, in this body for the last, you know, almost now 40 years, there's been a bunch of challenges and that's no different inside of corporate America. Um, but if I had to give myself, my younger self, some advice, I think there's two things that I would say. The first is understand what fuels you and kind of what your purpose is. Because when you can lock in on that, the way that like the energy, the smarts, the like, the, the work that you bring to the table in order to to, to serve the people you're trying to serve, to make the organization better that you're, that you're working with, just is, it's, it's untouchable. I would have pushed myself at an earlier age to really try to hone in on what it gets me up every single morning and what I'm excited about going to bed every night thinking about. Number two, I probably would have pushed myself harder to take risk. I love my parents. They pushed me really, really hard. Just like many uh, immigrants that made their way to the United States, um, risk aversion is a thing and is the appropriate way to probably navigate. So they were like, go be an engineer, doctor, or a lawyer, because we know those jobs, <laughs> right? When I told them that I was going to switch from IBM to Facebook, they were like, 
what is this Facebook thing? Like we know IBM, it's a global company. Like there's a good stability there. Don't go do this like whimsical startup thing that isn't even publicly listed. But I think that there is there's just like real value and being able to take more risk when you're young and you have the flexibility and the ability to do that. So I would tell myself to, to take more risk. I think last but not least is try to find my voice in spaces. So, you know, when you, you know, navigate the working world and you find yourself as the only, right, the onlyness that happens oftentimes for people of color and women and so on and so forth, you've got to figure out how you can't minimize your voice in those spaces, right? And find strength and kind of what you know the fact that you're in the room and that you're at the table and that you do have a voice that needs to be heard and know by the way like brings a different perspective that is going to be beneficial for the problem that you're trying to solve the team that you're working with uh and kind of the the world writ large so pushing myself earlier to find my voice i think is another another kind of the third lesson i would have given my 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 young self (laughs) as you can see these grays right now it's no longer claiming anything being young I think that's some awesome advice, though. I feel like it's really important to know yourself and be willing to take risks that are meaningful to you and also to use one's position to try to, like you said, stand up for what you believe in and and really use your voice. That's definitely really good advice. To round out our conversation, we'd also love to shoot you a couple of quick fire questions um, down. (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. So I guess firstly, what is the best advice that you've ever received? It hung on my bathroom wall growing up. So I I credit it to my parents, but the quote is somebody else. It is only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. And it's Albert Einstein. The thing I love about it, thinking about it even now, is that it was a man of science who was admitting that kind of the the number one thing you could be living your life for was other people. So that's been my North Star. That's a really good, it's a really good quote. Is there a piece of worst advice that you've ever received? That's a great question. <laughs> um, the worst advice. Oh. Um, last time I visited Harvard, I didn't have a coat. So someone who didn't who told me not to bring a coat and that the weather would be fine gave me a pretty bad piece of advice. <laughs> the subtle dig. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so cold. So cold. <laughs> uh, how about your favorite book? Mm. Um. I love a lot of books. Probably the thing that's probably the book that I've read the most that stands out is A Long Walk to Freedom, which is the autobiography of Nelson Mandela. Um, Great book, incredible life journey and story, but definitely a worthwhile read for anyone who wants to think about what it takes to go out of this, get through a struggle and actually have have an impact on the world. And you mentioned um, the many mentors you've had throughout your journey. We were wondering, do you have any role model that you really look up to? Um. I'd be remiss not to name both of my parents, like again, some of those hardworking people on the planet for a number of different reasons. Um, beyond that, I'm, I'm a deep believer in the fact that you can learn from almost everyone that you meet. And if you look hard enough and give enough grace and patience that like the universe will show you why you're bumping up against these people at any given time. So, <laughs> so many tidbits of great advice. Um, and finally, what is your favorite hobby? Mm, um, I still, despite my bones breaking down, try to stay fairly active. So I'm a decent big runner these days. So getting out there, try to every morning and, and get a couple miles in is is a hobby, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ime, for speaking with us.
I feel like we've learned so much from your journey and it was just so inspirational listening to your story. We're really excited to see what you do next. Thank you so much. I can say the same thing for you guys. Thank you for inviting me.